0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And today we're going to talk to a Fremantle favourite, Michael Barlow, who came from nowhere to be one of Fremantle's best midfielders during the club's best era, really, in the 2010 to 2015 era under First Mark Harvey and then Ross Lyon. Michael, welcome.
1: Duff, um, nah, humbled to be on. And uh, the heading of Inspiring Sports Stories, yeah, you never, I think, um, view your own story as something like that. So hopefully uh, I can send some sort of inspiration uh, out of the story of my career and what I'm doing now.
0: Well, I think you can, mate, because yours is not the normal sports story. Yours is the... Um, the story of the person that did not take the normal talent development pathway and still had a really, really good AFL career and achieved an enormous amount. So, let's go back to the start. You you grew up in regional Victoria in Shepparton.
1: I did, yeah. So grew up in um, Shepparton and grew up in a family of um, you know, four siblings and, and myself. So five five kids, Jenny and her, my parents. Um, when you're growing up, you, you absolutely underappreciate your parents, and then when you go up and um, move on, and I think in particular when I got to WA and and made it into the AFL, um, it opened my eyes to to what the parents' role in your upbringing is, and then giving you the opportunities to to just do whatever you want, really, in term in a, in a structured way. Like my my parents were always big on um, education and, and prioritising school and making sure you got the best out of yourself in all environments. Um, but they had five kids and you know, every night and every weekend was just spent um, couriering, couriering, uh the, the kids around from sporting event to sporting event or music event or or whatever it may be, sleepovers, all of that stuff, which, um, yeah, the, the mind shudders with five kids and how it all transpired. But um, you always had someone to kick the footy with and play with. I was the middle Child of of the five, um, three brothers and a younger sister. So loved uh, growing up in Shepparton, and um, yeah, just loved my sport really, and, and was always um, motivated to do really well at school because, as you mentioned, I didn't go through the pathways in, in the footy context. I'll I'll be happily happy to share the story when I first got cut from the only pathway program I got to got invited to was the under fifteen schoolboys um, with kind of six of my school teammates. And I went down, and one of my school teammates that had been invited down is my best best mate, Sam White. His name is, and he um, he was limited and still is with his footy ability, and uh, he made it further in the cut than I did. And and at that point, I um, crossed the oval, and Dad tells this story quite fondly. I think I was fifteen. I walked across the oval. He knew I'd been cut, and um, he viewed it as a moment in time that you know this this could send the kid off in, in two different directions you can kind of build some resilience and and stick with it because I was into my running and, and staying fit and I loved my footy um, or it could have just been like you know what too hard I've been snubbed um, um, and, and the give up give up option was also there but dad, team, dad, dad tells the story that that night he didn't sleep much he um, woke up and heard the gate go at I think it was 6am or 6.30am and that's when I used to go get up and go for a run and he thought when he heard the the gate go that um I'd be okay and I'd I'd kind of make a goal of it whichever whichever way I chose to go that I got up and and batted on, um, regardless of the disappointment of the day before.
0: Describe yourself as a junior footballer, Michael.
1: Uh skinny, wiry, um couldn't kick. Uh I was slow, so the last two were probably similar to my AFL career. Um <laughs> But I I, I think I, and similarly in my AFL career, I had a knack of being able to find the ball and accumulate um, possession. So that was always my my strength, that um, I was able to find the ball. I had a good kind of understanding of of where to go to if I couldn't impact uh, the immediate contest. And um, a a word or or a a way I was described growing up, in particular by my brothers, was that I was a sheepdog, (laughs) that I would skirt the packs and find my way around the edges and find a lot of the ball to the point. I think one day my brother took stats on me in a in an under fourteen game, um, well before kind of stats were getting taken um, on every game that's ever played. But I he he did my stats and and he said you had thirty possessions but you only had one contested possession. Um, so pretty quickly I was uh, I was copying it a little bit from my siblings around. Potentially being I'm um, a sheepdog so I tidied that up the longer I uh, the longer I developed I think into into uh, an inside midfielder
0: you didn't play in the tac cup as a junior you did attend a famous footy college didn't you assumption college
1: i did yeah so that was when i in year 10 um my dad herb he went to assumption along with his brothers um when they grew up so the boarding school in kilmore which is about an hour north of melbourne and it is a very cold and miserable and bleak joint but um for all those descriptive words, uh, it was the most amazing three years of my life. And um, in a boarding school environment, I was very lucky to land in the year level that I did. Um, you know that the the group of friends I have from that that year level and the boarding house in particular, you, you form bonds and it does really lend itself to a brotherhood. Um, there was thirty boarders in our year, and I would say there's probably twenty five of us that are really you know. Um, really well connected still today, you know, in the WhatsApp group and kind of regular catch-ups and, you know, we'll all go to each other's weddings and, um, and you know, enjoy each other's company as we get older and all have families and whatnot. So, went to that boarding school and I think my football kind of did, did start to take off. Um, I actually went there and I was a good cricketer growing up and a better cricketer than I was a footballer, so... I jumped straight into the first 11 cricket and um, was lucky enough to kind of play in three premiership sides, year 10, 11, 12 as a cricketer and captained it in year 12. Um, Football was a bit of a slower burn. Year 10, I just played in the year 10 footy program. Year 11, I was kind of in and out of the the first 18. Um, And then in year 12, I was a regular player in the first 18 and and won the best and fairest um, of that year, which was yeah pretty cool because it's it's really well known for... as a sporting school, and I probably thought at that that moment when I won that best in Ferris that um you know that would be potentially the pinnacle of my um football career actually being acknowledged as the best player in in the assumption college um side of two thousand and five.
0: you represented Victoria Country in two thousand and seven as a as a nineteen year old which would have been what an overage player um so mm-hmm. at that stage, you would have felt like you're on the radar
1: yeah so it's an interesting um development there. It was so two thousand and seven. was my second year. So I left school, I went to Melbourne uni um straight out of school and I played local footy up home in, in Shepparton. Um when I went to boarding when I went to university mum had told me that, you know, whatever wherever you want to play footy, um, you know, it's it's up to you. I know you're moving to Melbourne and um she was the coach of the netball side at Shepherd Eyes at the time and it was our junior club and our our childhood club. So mum and dad had given me the, the brief that you go to Melbourne, you make your own decision. I made my own decision to play footy for the University Blacks. Um, and then pretty quickly mum rang me and pretty quickly I figured out it actually wasn't really my decision where I was playing footy <laughs> for that period. <laughs> so she she swung me around pretty quick. Dad actually rang me and said, look, I think your mother would like you, you and your brother to come, come up home, and which was great because you know, I went up home on the weekends and played for Shepp United for a couple of years. Um, and in my second year there, I had a really good year and I think I've developed physically and started just to, to understand what senior football was about. So the Vic Country program was actually like the Vic Country um, open age side of all the all the country leagues around um, Victoria. So I was selected in the squad initially um, to be in that side. Um, and I ended up getting getting to the last kind of 24 and 23 were selected I was actually the last player cut. I was the youngest player in the squad um, of that actually eligible for the under-19s at that point. um, But I'd trained with the seniors the whole time and just missed out. So I was a little bit disappointed when um, I got the news that I wasn't in that side. But the longer that year went, um, I just kept playing local football at Shepherd United and and ended up getting an opportunity to train at St Kilda at the end of that year, um, which was a real eye-opener and something I was... Amplified by, to be honest, initially because we'd gone from country footy, living a university lifestyle, um, to going to train with Nick Rewalt, Brendan Goddard, Nick Del Santo, Stephen Milne. Um And to be honest, when I rocked up to, to St Kilda, my, my main objective was to get in and out of that joint with, within six weeks, just not embarrassing myself. And um, yeah, but on the on the other side of the coin, from that six weeks six week experience. I actually figured out that I was at the level or, or uh, capable of of being an AFL player, and um, from that point, the penny dropped.
0: Werribee. After that, in the VFL in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine, tell us about those years.
1: Yeah, so missed out on the St Kilda rookie draft um, in that period that I that I trained with uh, the Saints, and came out of that experience getting to get, you get the feedback. Um, uh, pretty quickly, you know, we, we like what you do, but, you know, you've played country football um, and it's just hard to marry up what, what getting 45 possessions at country football looks like compared to a 19-year-old, you know, going and playing in the VFL program. So, um, you I know, probably nearly snuck into the AFL and it actually turned out to be a different, um, absolute different set of circumstances when I eventually did crack in because going to Werribee, um, initially it was very much, I'm, I'm going to go for a year. I'm going to have a good year if i have a good year i'll get drafted well i was very naive to actually the process of, of what was required to be a good vfl player um what the what the process then was to get an opportunity from vfl to afl was you know, largely unheard of really back back in that day so i went and played with werribee and the, the challenge initially was really just to make sure that i could play senior vfl football so um Around state leagues, obviously, they had the seniors and the reserves. All back in that day, they did VFL nowadays, just had the the senior side. But played, um, was lucky enough to get into the side. We were aligned with North Melbourne at the time. So there was only really like six to ten spots live a week um, as a wherever listed player to play in the senior side um, with the alignment with North Melbourne, um, of which I kind of found a niche on the half-forward flank. And Simon Atkins was my coach at the time, former Bulldog and Fitzroy player that... um, my teammates of the time and, and good mates of the day nowadays um, absolutely tell me that I was his favourite, that I, I it probably helped that I was his favourite to get in the side week on, week out uh start. Um, but from my first year, I, I had a good year and I got in the team of the year um, as a half forward, which is a position I'd never played. Um, and from there, I was waiting by the phone for, for four or five weeks thinking that, that St Kilda or another football club might ring me because... That was the feedback go have a good year and we'll call you and and we'll follow up in 12 months time and and map out the process from there so when the phone didn't ring i was um a little bit grudging. i think of the afl system and and uh what it looked like and from there i probably thought that the opportunity was gone and um again it was a a fork in the road moment do i just go back and well finish my degree and go back to shepparton and live in shepparton and become a town planner or do I stick with this VFL existence and, and have another crack? Um, of which Simon Atkins, the coach, I'll never forget. The day after the draft, he he came up to me at training and said, Look, we're gonna give you every opportunity to get drafted next year. Um, and true to his word he did. He played me in every position. He played me wing, half back, half forward, uh, predominantly on ball. Um he even let me take the kick in stuff, which um took a very brave coach at the time. So I was um spearing them everywhere. Um, But from there, eventually, I got the the opportunity with Fremantle after kind of interviewing with about 10 to 12 clubs, I think, at the end of the season, uh, 2009.
0: Mick, we'll take a break there, and we'll be back with uh, another segment of this interview and talk about your time at Fremantle after the break. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. We're talking to Michael Barlow. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things... This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Michael Barlow, former Fremantle gun, now Werribee VFL coach. Michael, when did you first get wind that Fremantle were interested in you? Yeah, so at the end of
1: 2009 when I'd played a couple of years in the VFL, um, I did get a lot of interest around um, around the league, so I think I had ten to twelve interviews. Um, and looking back on it, there's probably two or three clubs that were really in the second and third interview. And you sit down and, the, and you, you go through the testing. And um, you know, I trained with Essendon for a period after the national draft. Fremantle was a club actually that um, I only met with once, and I felt as if it was kind of a, a thanks but no thanks pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I'd only met with them once and um, between the national and rookie draft, which back then was, I think, three weeks, which was which is a crime because the <laughs> three weeks was a long three weeks and you're full of anxiety and you just want to get into it if you're going to get the opportunity. So I didn't hear from Fremantle in that period, but the day of the draft, the rookie draft, I woke in the morning and um, Marty Pask, who managed me for my, my career, rang me in the morning and said, "There's there's been a commitment. Um, from Fremantle that they'll take you with their second pick if Essendon don't take me because I was training with Essendon at the time. Um, and Essendon, I think had a, they did have a pre-season pick. Um, and Adrian I had spoken to the night before that they wouldn't use that pre-season pick on me and they'll, they'll, they'll likely take me if I'm still available with, with one of their rookie picks. So I got some confidence and I was I was pretty excited about the morning because I think it was finally coming that I was going to to break through. Um but yeah, to get that call from Marty in the morning and say, "Look, Fremantle, you've, you've been told Essendon. um yeah, loosely they've committed to you." So there's there's um, some confidence in what the day looks like. And um, sure enough, it was with pick eight when I was, I was sitting with my mum at the time, which was a pretty special moment to see the name just pop up on the on the laptop at pick eight that um, Fremantle would take me. And, and pretty quickly, Mark Harvey was on the phone. In um, typical Mark Harvey. Um, manner he didn't kind of small talk too much he said right we'll get you over here and we'll we'll get to work and and we'll um, get started on this whole thing which which was pretty cool I was over there that day and and, um, at training the next morning.
0: What was it like arriving in Perth and doing summer training because summer in Perth is pretty brutal so you would have gone from freezing cold conditions where you grew up in in Melbourne to, to a place that was pretty hot.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I loved, and to this day, like, I, I speak a lot about Perth, and uh, it is my favourite place in the world. In particular, kind of the the, the um, area south of the river where I kind of lived for for much of my Fremantle career, around East Fremantle and Melville, and uh, I don't like the heat too bad to be honest. Because in Melbourne, when it gets hot, it gets like really hot and really gross. To, to put it kind of really bluntly, it can get humid, and you know. Uh, there's no escaping the heat when when you're in Melbourne whereas when I was in WA it's morning when you train it was quite good it was quite a still heat and, and quite a fresh um, start to the morning a lot of the day and, and then you get your training done and you know, you're so close to the beach you spent so many afternoons down at the beach at Port Beach or South Fremantle Beach and um, no I was pretty pretty content with what, what Fremantle was was offering in terms of climate year round and um, no I just love the love the transition from from the east to the west, and uh, people often ask me uh, how you've all your opportunity to get into the AFL and you have to move all the way to the WA, but um, it was the best thing that happened to me because to, to live in Western Australia and experience football in the west and life in the west was was a treat.
0: You make your debut in round one of 2010. You have 34 disposals and kick two goals against Adelaide. What was that like?
1: Uh, yeah, again, it was pretty sounding Overly arrogant. I felt like that first period, first period or patch of my career was the easiest patch through a number of factors. You're quickly surrounded by players that are so far better than anyone you've really played with before or a clump of players that you've played with before is far more in sync. Your own performance and your own ability increases because you become a full-time athlete um, and your fitness capacity and your execution of skill is at a higher level. You find out. First ten games, there's not a huge expectation on you from coaching staff, um in terms of probably the finer details of, of game style and, and adherence to team rules. So first ten games, you're out there largely doing your own thing and and flourishing. Um the longer your career goes, there's a little bit more heat and we'll get to that I think uh later on in the discussion around the expectation to roll and I think being hold, hold held to a higher um, standard the longer your career goes so my first 10 or 13 games it was before breaking my leg um, uh, a magical moment in time really yeah I just was on cloud nine I hadn't really smelt the roses at all in that period whilst I was just enjoying some some good individual form but also collectively we were in the top four at the time um, and I just probably thought how good this.
0: So you played those first thirteen games. I think it was round fourteen against Port Adelaide, where you uh, break your leg. I think Reece Palmer crashed into the the lower part of your leg. Is that right? That's how it happened.
1: Yeah, it did. And Reece um, often apologizes to me, which he doesn't have to because he's um, he's always he's always letting me know that apologies again or whatever it may be. Because absolutely, it's never something done within Kent. Um, it was just one of those moments in time, yeah, we went, went back um, with a weird angled ball. Um, tab kicked one on the left and wobbled it to half forward. And I was just going back and the angles, um, yeah, just didn't really work out in my favour as Reese was coming you know, blindsided from, from, from his way and I was going blindsided from from my direction and um, the leg went in half. And I think the the vision of initially I was, uh, I was half aware of what had happened but in denial of the severity of it so I jumped up and um, did a quick fitness test of which I um, yeah failed dismally
0: Yeah I remember that, I remember you trying to stand up and sort of like half hopping and half trying to stand on that leg and uh, and once we saw you unable to do that we thought oh this is this is bad, what sort of pain was it like Michael?
1: Yeah it was it was pretty um, it was actually okay to be honest in the, in the moment because you're in such shock and Pretty quickly, you get given the, the relief, the, the green whistle, which then takes you on a completely different path um, to where you think you you probably should be at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon um, as as the game of footy is concluding. Um, but yeah, I think the patches the are post-operation and you know, I did take kind of a week to get out of hospital. Like I couldn't get the leg over the bed um, after the operation for, for some period, just with the blood kind of rushing from, from your top half to your bottom half. Um, and and creating an excruciating excruciating amount of pain. Um, but from there, it was... Yeah, slow burn. It really was. Like, I talked about this recently, that you, you hear about stories and you have people check in that have had similar injuries about the broken leg. Um, i give you the advice that that theirs was, was a really good recovery, kind of three months, six months, um, of which it was halfway through the footy season when I did it. So I thought, okay, I'll just cop the hit, cop the whack, and um, you know, come back around one next year. Good as gold. Um, I had heard some cautionary tales as well. Nathan Brown being the main one of uh, which he said he kind of never really got back to, to the level of um, capacity that he had pre-broken leg, um, and that pain had followed him around for for a large chunk of his life. I, I think since the since his injury, of um, uh, which yeah, it was unfortunately the latter for me that um, it did take. 12 months till I could get uh, get back out and play, but probably 24 months till I could get back out and actually move with confidence and, and get um to 13-3 and, and the level of capacity that was somewhere near what I would see as my best.
0: We'll take a break there, and we'll be back with more after the break and talk about uh, a, a big shock at Fremantle and the arrival of Ross Lyon. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Michael Barlow. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Michael Barlow, former Fremantle gun, now Werribee VFL coach. Michael, we're up to the point where you've broken your leg you're battling to come back. You come back, I think, almost a year after um, you you broke the leg in 2010. Um, did it, I know you say you weren't quick, but I remember talking to um, a Fremantle staffer at a training session when you first arrived at the club, and I, I pointed to you, and I said, who's that? It was the first time I'd seen you. He said, you mean the bloke who looks slow but it's actually quick, and it was you. <laughs> did did the broken leg cost you a bit of speed? Because I, I, I don't remember – thinking of you as as a trundler when you were, you used to shuffle, but you used to get around the ground pretty quickly. No,
1: I, I must admit I played probably a little bit slow. Um, I was very uh, happy with, and it's probably one of my greatest achievements. I went to the State Combine in Victoria at the end of 2009, and I ran a 2.89 on the 20-metre uh, sprint, which I think was in the top kind of 5%. So I'd... Um, I was probably looked at that and thought, well, but I don't think he ever uses it. Pretty much, so <laughs> um, that that was my my go when I played. It was it was very much, and there was oh, I was quite good at the endurance, like the three k and two k time trials at Freo and the Suns. So I was usually in the top top handful, so i had good kind of an aerobic base, um, and the ability to kind of get the contest the contest was was my thing. But yeah, I, I ran I ran around. Um, a lot of the time, and I was described a lot as kind of like a wounded duck or, or someone that looked like they had a rocking shoe a lot of the time. Um, a broken leg. Um, came back in 2011, mid mid part of 2011, and and uh, that patch of the year, we had a really poor run of form. I think we lost kind of eight or nine. And, yeah. And to be honest, I was going really poorly. Um, and I was physically, like the, the leg was, was not right. Um, I had to get some Rowing repairs at the end of that season, um, some compartment syndrome. Um Yeah, some real emphasis on kind of strengthening my, my muscles around, you know, glutes and quads and hamstrings and all that to try and get up and going for for the first part of the next year and away some of this pain that I was having um, you know, referred um as a result of a broken leg. So um yeah, I there was I do remember at the time I was having the doubts internally around would I ever be able to move around pain free as a human being again because I was for two years every step I took um sometimes there was kind of really excruciating pain, whether it was walking or, or running um but, but largely it was just kind of a knocking pain like a little hammer, just every step you took just a, a hammer going into your um shin bone, which not like a whack <laughs> an aggressive rack hammer just enough to suggest that um something's not right um of which I think it just came with time and came with strengthening and I played through a fair bit of that pain in the early part of the twenty twelve season um uh, probably again not not going super individually going um probably half rap power and only just going okay with Ross, kind of the new coach of which you're trying to impress and make sure that you're in his plans and 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 your best is or what you're providing is is in his best um 22 and there was a moment I'll never forget the the game Uh, it was middle of the year around uh, like in 2012 we played Richmond at the MCG and it was the first day for two years I was pain free and I ran around pain free and and played quite well and pulled up the next day no worries at all and and from there I've had only very minor issues with that injury but um, yeah that that was a moment in time that I look back on that the injury passed and and I could actually just concentrate on playing and contributing and, and doing what Ross um, Ross ultimately asked of me, which was give great effort, which was his big thing. Give great effort and play your role.
0: Give great effort, play your role. I know that. Yep, I remember those sayings very well. How big a shock was it when the club sacked Mark Harvey at the end of
1: 2011? Yeah, it was a um, shock. Like the players were not at all aware that, that something like that was um, on the horizon. So when it when it did come to be, I I do recall I just hadn't had a surgery on my leg, actually a compartment syndrome um, um, procedure. So I came out and you're kind of watching it at the time. And, and back then it was not to say it was back way back when, but this was probably in a time, you know, and pre Twitter and free kind of 24 seven access to news. But the news came on and the information had been, um, had been given. We all got a text message, I reckon from memory that, that this, this was happening and it had been done. And, so we'd we'd found out out in real time of of it being exposed to the the greater football public. Um, I remember halves, and you probably remember he was on his way to a fishing trip, um, and the cameras grabbed him, and you know away he went. He went off on a fishing trip, and to his credit, we there was a group of us that caught up with him about a week or so later at Aaron Sandaland's house, and maybe overindulged in um, BB Longnecks, I think it was from memory, <laughs> um, and, and his. His manner and his attitude, halves. I still run into him sporadically to this day. Like he, he's a great human being. He he's a great character. Like he's one I think that um, would have been great to deal with with the media because he'd, he'd give he'd give you a lot of it. He'd give you his personality. He'd challenge you, but he'd also kind of endear himself to people. And that that's who he was as a coach. Um, I love playing for him. I only got the two years with him at the time when it when it when it did turn when and Ross came in I was a little bit anxious. Off the back of a new coach coming in, my injury. Um, you know, Ross was, was the coach at St Kilda at the time that I'd I'd trialed with him at the end of my my country footy career and, and he'd kind of seen what I had but not really liked it. Um, to the level where he gave me gave me an opportunity on the rookie list. So there was some anxiety on a personal level that um how would I fit into a Ross Lion system, which was which was really defensive, um, and I'd kind of broken onto the AFL, scene as a as a ball winning player that probably wasn't great the other way. Um, but yeah, from there, I, I mean Ross, yeah, he, my first meeting with Ross was he brought up the time that I'd trained with St Kilda and that he didn't take me and um, that he took someone else, and he said, oh, at the end of the day, the guy we took only lasted six months, so maybe in hindsight we should have um, should have actually taken you. So. There was a little nod of approval there from Ross um, in the interim, but he, um, yeah, pretty quickly, highlighted what he liked about my game and what what I what I could contribute to, to the style he wanted to play.
0: How soon did you realise that the club would go somewhere under Ross Line? It felt like about halfway through twenty twelve. It sort of clicked.
1: It was yeah, absolutely halfway through twenty twelve. Um, it was the game I mentioned before, Richmond at the MCG on a wet, cold. Melbourne afternoon in, in the middle of winter. Um, no Sandlands or Sandalands goes down early with the the toe injury. Um Zach Lawson does a does an MCL uh in the game in the first quarter and plays through it. Um I think there was no Fife maybe or, or Fife Fife is only young and kinda of coming through. Um Pavlich really big game, but everyone else jumps on jumps on board and it was I'll never forget it being kind of the birth of the anywhere anytime uh, mantra, of which those mantras are easy in AFL or professional sport to, to, to say, but to commit to and kind of provide action-based confidence to your supporters and to, to each other—that's that what we are. That was the day it absolutely turned. You know, it was a—it was a day that I think in the past the Dockers would have rocked up and it just would have been too cold, too hard. Um, you know, Shandland's out, John Griffin in. that um, nah, we can't get this done. But Matt DeBoer Matt De was enormous. Um, you know, Everyone around the edges played their role. And I think it was the birth of a side that um, probably lacked talent, to be honest, like in the depth of talent. But there was a fair bit of character and commitment to role in that side.
0: We'll take another break and we'll come back. We'll talk about grand final under Ross, preliminary final under Ross, and then your coaching career post-playing. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Michael Barlow. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is the inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Barrett and O'Day. We're talking to Michael Barlow, former Fremantle gun, now Werribee VFL coach. Michael, twenty twelve, you have two really strong finals performances: victory over Geelong in Melbourne, then uh, a narrow defeat at the hands of Adelaide in Adelaide. But twenty thirteen starts off with a run of injury, doesn't it? And yet somehow the club survives it and keeps uh, keeps it, it keeps itself in contention.
1: Yeah, I felt like twenty. 20- 2012, clearly we spoke about, um, you know, that middle part of the year, and we we, we stormed home, um, got some confidence with a win over Geelong in the final that we that no one really um, kind of envisaged, and then I think we were probably halfway there against Adelaide the week before, and Taylor Walker ripped it away uh, the week after, so and Taylor Walker ripped the game away from us in the second half. But um, moving to 2013, in, internally we would built this, um, you know, strong mantra and strong. I suppose, trademark connection to each other and, and what the standard was. Um, and the start of the year, you're right, was there's was probably reasons. Again, you want to be anywhere, anytime with any one team. You know, that gets tested when injury um, rears its head and, and you're playing without some of your better players. And you know, the next man up mentality uh, was a very significant one. Um, we, it's quite a while ago now, but you, you do remember at the time it was, Internally, we felt like you know we we're staying in the season. Just we we're thereabouts, and it wasn't going perfectly. There were some some clumps of really good form, and then and some some hiccups that we just stayed in the season. And then you get to a period where you've you've probably done enough to qualify for finals, and then you you galvanise, you come together, and then you you plot a course to to give yourself an opportunity at the top four, um, of which Ross was always big on. We wanted to be the top four in everything—offense, defense, and contest—and um, to be realistic, in the back end of the season, you need to be top four to give yourself a chance. So that was that was the aim in that back back month. I reckon of the the, the home and away season, finish top four, and from there we'll we'll give ourselves every chance. Of which, um, yeah, we we got in and and then made that trip to Geelong again.
0: So two games. We want to focus on the the win over Geelong in Geelong and the grand final. The win over Geelong in Geelong still feels like Fremantle's finest moment,
1: yeah, it was pretty special and always, um, a game that pops up a lot i think in in terms of you know when you're when you're sitting back and scrolling your Twitter feed or whatever it may be whenever Geelong play three o there's always this draw to to that game um the Stephen Hill moment, um yeah, I remember the first quarter in particular and, and to give people an indication of the, the trip, like it very much was all gone conclusion externally that, which I think Ross and our group loved that we were going there and there was the, the narrative had been written that Geelong had been given a home final because it's the Dockers and Geelong will win this and then Geelong play this side and Geelong will just set themselves up nicely for a, for a tilt at the premiership. So um, Ross was like a kid in a candy store leading into that game um, with that narrative being projected and, the first quarter didn't all go our way. I remember personally, I had a really poor first quarter, couldn't find the ball. Um, and, and as a team, we were, we were just going. I think Zach Dawson did a, did a great thing at the start of the game, gave a free kick to Podgy Adley, who kicked the goal without any time off the clock. And we thought, "I'd oh, we're under the pump here. And Ross came out and you do sometimes... He surprises you a lot and you're probably expecting a little bit of a blast, but he actually brought us out and kind of showed us the numbers and said, look, we're in the game. We've just got to do this, this, and this. So he gave us a real clear path as to to what was required. Um, and then we go out in the second quarter and execute. And I remember hitting half time and we were buzzing and we were thinking, this is, this is on now. And I'll never forget the the energy in the room and the meeting room at half time And Ross just gave us the belief. He just said, look, you're pretty much 60 minutes away here from getting a home prelim and, We've, we've followed this path the whole way through to say, you know, top four and home prelims is is um, the recipe for to give yourself that ultimate chance on the last day, which is which is pretty special to get the um and getting that win, the Stephen Hill moment was amazing, and I could watch that um, a million times over because yeah, it just brings back some some significant memories of joy and, and connection to that group.
0: Yeah, well, you did all right that day, mate. 32 and three goals was a pretty significant contribution. I think you were one of the kickers of one of the stoppage goals in the third quarter from memory. Would that be right?
1: I was. I had a good second quarter. Like I said, at one time, it was back in the day of the sub, um, which is back now, obviously, but it was, I think, three and a sub. And I was. my mind actually went at quarter time to... I've probably just got to do enough here to not get subbed out. Um, <laughs> such, such was such was my uh, inadequate first quarter that I went out and I think I found found two goals um, personally and found a bit of the ball. And uh, yeah, like I said, I think personally I got the halftime buzzing, thinking, "Well, I'm going to play the game out at least." <laughs> and um, we're going pretty well, and I've secured a spot. You did sometimes go into self preservation mode. Um, not in a in a selfish way, but you, you did have to think at times. Alright, oh, now I can actually just loosen up a bit and and get through and and um, contribute as much as I can to the team. Um, which yeah, Sandalands popped one over the back of Alan in the four hundred and fifty stoppage, and I um, wobbled one too, I think, on the left. To uh, and every time we kicked the goal on the day, you just heard this pocket of Frio fans, which were going absolutely bananas. Um, and it was like a a kind of country football game where this pocket of 500 fans were just going absolutely raucous every time something went well for us and the rest of it was just deathly silent.
0: Grand final. How much do you think about the grand final? It felt like you did a lot right and you just couldn't finish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Fair bit. Um, I, mean, I didn't watch. We, were, we reviewed the game, I think on the Monday after the grand final. Um. Straight after the game again, Ross Ross is he's just so circumspect in the way he he approaches things that he gave us the or the uh, the things that that worked against us and worked for us in the grand final pretty much within thirty minutes after the game. Um, it was execution clearly, like the the start of the game. I think we were one goal we were, um, one goal six at one stage, and then were five goals five. Or, like that for some reason is seared into my brain because um one goal six at half time. Well yeah.
0: One goal six at half time. One goal
1: six at half time. Um, you know, Mzungu kicks the first goal and you felt like it was probably a an era of misery around how we were playing and we just couldn't couldn't take opportunities. Um, Hawthorne was aside for a long period. Throughout that whole period of uh, of our you know, relative success there at the Dockers for 2012, 2015, the Hawks were the ones that we just couldn't get. Um they played us really well. They they turned it from a contest into a kind of a control game a lot of the time. Um we had a patch where we could turn it into a contest and a bit of a bit of a scrap, um first part of the third quarter or large chunks of the third quarter where you know you hit you hit three quarter time really believing that that we're a good start here away from being Premiership players. So yeah, it's it's a really difficult game to put into to context because yes, there there was the opportunities to take um execution wise early. Um, you know, I had a shot early in the game I think from about fifty that that would have been our first goal which kind of didn't make the distance and and now I reckon I had another moment um, in the third quarter where I could have lowered the eyes or, or just had a bit more confidence to to go towards goal and, and kick the goal. Um, and the moment as much as you're in the moment or in the time don't don't really want to acknowledge, like there is so much more in a grand final and subconsciously, um yeah, that that probably does take over in, in certain aspects of of the game to just withdraw from your, your ultimate performance or that finishing piece, which um you know, I was as big a part of it as any on the day, not being able to execute some field kicks and, and take some opportunities in front of goal which um which ultimately would have given us a better chance to, to be premiership players if we sit here today.
0: What made you decide to coach after you finished playing, Michael? Yeah, it was
1: an interesting transition. Um uh, from my point, when I finished at the Suns, um, I love footy. I love. I could still play footy. Like when I had finished at the Suns, um, I was still Like if the, the, the opportunity came knocking to still play AFL football, I knew it was it was very a very long shot. But I was still feeling very physically capable, so I went back to Werribee. I'd actually canvassed a couple of options whether I was going to move back to WA. And do something similar. That I end, so what I ended up doing was I ended up being uh, an assistant coach with Werribee in the VFL under Mark Williams, Choco, and so I was a playing assistant coach. Um, initially, it was very much oh, I'd still want to play at this highest level. I'd I'd met with some waffle clubs to do something similar. I had, um, you know, my mum was very ill at the time has since passed away, which kind of drew me back to my family and back to back to Victoria. So I committed to the the, the Werribee situation. And under Choco, I just landed at the right place at the right time with uh, the right mentor. Like Ross, uh, Ross, Ross has been a great mentor for me as well. But Choco had the best coaching apprenticeship I think you could get. Choco was a full time coach at Werribee. Um, I was transitioning out of AFL, so I was doing some work in the community program at Werribee. Um, alongside playing and coach. So a lot of the time I was at the football club and Choco would just bring me in and show me a vision and show me how to collate vision, show me how to put together keynote presentations, show me certain drills to improve certain elements of the game. And I think 12 months earlier, if you had told me that I was going to follow a tra- trajectory into, into being a head coach within three or four years of a state league football club, I would have um, shuddered to think, maybe because it... it such a big responsibility. It takes such a wide skill set. That um, you know the impact of Choco Williams ultimately guided me towards that opportunity, which which opened up at Werribee when Choco got a role um, within the Melbourne Footy Club um, program. The back end uh, of COVID um, in Victoria, where you know the season was shut down, and then the, the, the season coming out of COVID, Choco transitioned to Melbourne, and I um, transitioned into the into the Werribee coaching role, which which I'm loving, along with kind of the bits and pieces I do in the media. And um, I feel like I've got a pretty well-balanced and fulfilling life at the moment.
0: Mick, I reckon we could talk for hours, but unfortunately we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on this show and sharing your story with us. I think it's one of the great football stories. Uh, This has been Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Barando Day. We've been talking to Michael Barlow. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.